I was building a new house myself, I would definitely build it um, in a prefab method because I built my own house, my uh, house that I lived in previously, and I watched the rain pouring in on the wood and soaking things. And I just, having seen prefab houses being built and set, it's just such a better way to build. I'm Todd Wine, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast. You're invited to join my mission to embrace and share the innovations transforming the AEC, MEP, and manufacturing industries. Today, I am joined by a best-selling author, an expert on small houses, energy efficiency, and prefabrication. Sherry Kunis has written several books, including Prefabulous World and her most recent one, Downsize, Living Large in a Small House. Welcome to the podcast, Sherry. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, can you start by just giving a brief background on yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, I had uh, been in the fashion industry and took off time from um, working to build a house for my family. And there was so much that I didn't know. I did a ton of research. And when I realized that there were so many better ways to do things than than the way I was finding in books. I wrote my first book so that I could help other people avoid some of the pitfalls that I was experiencing. So um, I wrote that first book, planned to go back to industry and the book did actually quite well and I got a request from another publisher to do two more books. And since I still didn't know a whole lot about home construction as much as I would have liked, I wrote a book called House About It, which covered all aspects of construction, uh, roofing, siding, windows, doors, etc. And um, while I was doing that, I watched a friend of mine's house being built um, with modular construction, and I was so taken with it, I decided to write my second book, which was part of my contract on modular mansions. And I wrote it about mansions because whenever I mentioned modular, everybody said, oh, those tacky little ugly houses. And so I yeah. found the biggest, most elaborate uh, modular houses that I could. And I traveled around and shot a lot of really beautiful houses. And after I did that, I um, got a call from actually another publisher who asked me to do a book. And I realized at that point that there were a lot of other types of prefab construction. And so I wrote a book called Prefabulous covering seven different types of uh, prefab construction. But along the way, as I started doing this, and of course, never went back to um, my previous career, um, I realized that uh, houses could be built more energy efficiently and more sustainable. And along the journey of writing these books, the houses did in fact become more energy efficient and more sustainable. So um, I wrote the next book, Prefabulous and Sustainable, and then Prefabulous and Almost Off the Grid. And my publisher wanted me to do a book on um, the world um, houses. And I did. And that was really eye-opening about how efficiently and beautifully houses were being built around the world. And again, um, I started seeing that smaller worked really well. And um, and I started writing about small houses. So my journey in writing has really gone from um, just writing about the best methods of construction to 
um, really the most efficient, healthy, and sustainable types of construction. And this book um, is really a culmination of uh, a lot of information that I've gotten over the years. Um, it includes some prefab houses, some site-built houses and renovations. And all of the houses are very energy efficient, sustainable, they require less maintenance. And really that's the ideal. And, and that's really my goal is to share with people the most ideal way to build a house. Love that. I love the organic uh, just nature of, of that story too, of how you, you got into the small house movement and, and the, the prefabricated. And what kind of grabbed your attention about prefab and the small house? Well, prefab just um, became important to me because it is such a more efficient way of building. I've been to prefab factories. I've watched prefab houses going up. They're so, they take less time. They're more efficient. Um, they, a lot of times have much more insulation. It's easier to put the insulation in when it's being built in a factory. Um, there are a multitude. I could do a whole, a whole um, meeting on, on uh, the uh, reasons for people to build um, prefab. But the small house idea really came because I think that people are really leaning towards smaller houses. Uh, a lot of people, include older people, want to live in a more right-sized house. And I found with this book that even younger people, millennials, are interested in living smaller. They are getting married at an, at an older age. They're having fewer children. They are more interested in uh, experiencing outdoor activities, bicycling, skiing, athletics, and they don't want to be home taking care of a house and, and doing maintenance. So I think um, really everybody, young and old, are more interested in living in a more environmentally friendly, more efficient, saving money on energy, and, and having a less maintenance house. There's this whole movement towards tiny houses, which are not practical for everybody because for a variety of reasons. Um, they're not um, connected to the grid. They are, um, um, they're not safe in earthquake areas and hurricane areas. And I think a lot of people don't want composting toilets. So there's a lot of reasons um, that there's a lot of deficits in tiny houses, although they're great for some people, but that whole movement just shows that people are interested in living smaller. Maybe let's take a step back. What, can you kind of unpack what the, the small house movement is? What, what constitutes a small house? A small house means different things, obviously, to different people. Um, I moved from a 6,800 square foot house to a 1,400 square foot house. So for me, 1,400 is a small house. For some yeah. people, a thousand square feet is small. Or, you know, um, I've covered houses in my books that are 400 square feet. The thing that makes my house, my, the houses in my books different from the tiny houses is that they are um, they are, um, they have foundations and they are, they meet the, the universal code or the local codes. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, so 
you unpacked it a little bit at the beginning there, but can you kind of briefly describe what your, your book Downsize is about and kind of the inspiration of why you wrote it? Um, the book explains, um, the book demonstrates how people can live smaller and still be extremely comfortable. And I think it's inspirational for people to see how bright and beautiful small houses can be. There are 33 houses in this book, different styles, some are modular, some are site built, some are renovations, but all of them are really lovely. They are all very comfortable. They all have great storage. And, and it has not been a sacrifice for any of these homeowners to live in a smaller house. As a matter of fact, most of the homeowners that I interviewed told me that they felt liberated moving from a larger house to the houses that they are living in in this book. No, that, that makes total sense. And as you are going through the book, what I really liked was just seeing all the, the light and airiness of these houses that it, you look like you were, would go into that space and it was just totally wide open. And you felt that sense of, um, I can see the sense of freedom coming through in there uh, of just how they rearranged what could be a small crib space, but made it seem so open and um, just breathable. Uh, I think what I also try to do is show people what aspects of construction and design will make the house feel bigger than it is. So there's a lot of different um, uh, qualities that all of these people used, having lots of light, um, having light colored walls, high ceilings, um, having a lot of storage so that they didn't have a lot of stuff laying around. And so there were lots of uh, ways that these people were able to make the houses feel more comfortable and airy. Yeah. Nobody really said that they felt the house was too small. Um, one couple said that initially they felt like the husband and wife felt like they were on top of each other uh, more than usual. But then they said they got used to it and they really liked it, found it comfortable. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. Yeah, you're gonna to adapt to whatever space you are in. As long as you go into it with a positive attitude and figure out how to, to make it work, I think people can get creative with it. What are some of the kind of top, you know, two or three tips that you've learned in, in studying the, the small house movement of, of how to make that house feel bigger? You mentioned storage is a big deal a bit ago, but um, any tips that you can share? Yeah, um, there are a lot of um, things that make a house um, feel larger and having, um, of course, having storage so that stuff is not laying around is, is a big uh, aspect. But there's also um, creative um, 
decorating, having uh, items that are multi-purpose. For example, having a pull-out couch in a living room or in, in an office so that you have multi-purpose space. Um, I have an office myself where I'm speaking now and I have a futon so that when one of my children comes home from uh, where they're, wherever they are, they have a place to stay. We have plenty of places in this very small house for, for uh, guests. Uh, and having furnishing that opens up to hold storage. I have a coffee table that opens up for storage and a dining table that opens up and can seat more people. So having furnishing that is flexible, having rooms that are flexible, using light colors, having high ceilings. Um, there are, I really have a whole list of um, aspects in the book that people can look through to find ways to make the house feel bigger. Yeah, is having that kind of multi-functional storage, is that kind of a, a crucial uh, component to making the, the small house more workable and feel big? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And everybody that I interviewed was concerned about energy efficiency. Um, everybody wanted to lower their energy bills. And so they all worked at making their house energy efficient, um, using less energy and um, creating the house so that not that they had to create more energy, but that that they needed less energy. Mm -hmm. And that's done with having great insulation and excellent windows, well-placed windows, um, having a, an insulated foundation. So all of those things uh, applied in these houses and they're really a group of very ideal houses. I went through many, many houses before selecting these and these were all designed by really knowledgeable architects and designers and were all really well done and they're all inspirational. I think everybody that looks at this book says they find it incredibly inspirational and it makes them want to, if they haven't downsized already, want to downsize. Can you speak to the criteria of, you said you went through a bunch of houses. What was the criteria there to decide what one was going to make it in the book and not? All of the houses had to be less than 2,000 square feet. Um, okay. They needed to be energy efficient and um, low maintenance and, um, and of course beautiful because if I showed a bunch of houses and they were unattractive, then I don't think anybody would be interested or inspired to downsize. Right. So um, those were some of the criteria and I think all of them really met that criteria. And I wanted a variety of styles, um, a variety of styles, a variety of locations from the West Coast to the East Coast and Canada. Um, I wanted houses that were um, different periods. And I also wanted a mix of prefab site built and also some renovations so people could see some really wonderfully uh, done um, um, renovations. That's awesome. Can you speak to the, the generational divide or, or maybe lack thereof in this small house movement? Yeah, I think that originally when I started doing this book, I thought that most of the um, homeowners would be boomers, older people. But wow. what I found was that there was a lot of younger people as well that were interested in living small, again, because they didn't want to do a whole lot of 
maintenance and they were more concerned with traveling and doing other things and not spending money on energy, but spending money on activities. And a lot of homes, um, even millennials, both people in the relationship are working. And when they have free weekends, they want to either do activities with themselves or if they have children, spend time with their children. And I think people have realized that they don't need so much space. I think a lot of people are watching these tiny house shows and they see that there can be creative use of space and that everybody doesn't need to have a lot of space to be happy. As a matter of fact, one of the couples that I interviewed um, for this book was in California and they, they bought a house that was close to the ocean and that was the reason that they chose it. And they could have made the house larger than it, than it is when they renovated it. And they said it wasn't gonna make them any happier to have more space. And so they just reconfigured the space, brought in more light and very happy with the space that they have, which was small. I, I can definitely relate to that as millennial myself. Well, that was a big uh, criteria when my wife and I were looking for houses a few years ago. We're slightly over the 2000 mark, square foot mark, but uh, we didn't want a, a bigger house that we had to upkeep and we wanted that, that smaller, cozier feel uh, that we could go out and, and do different activities and then come back and, and have our house and clean it up in you know, 20 minutes. It was great. <laughs> And then, of course, and then of course, boomers also want smaller space because um, their children have left, and um, and they don't need all that space. And a lot of the people not only wanted less space, but they wanted a different style design in their house. If they were very traditional, maybe they wanted something much more modern. If they lived in the suburbs, they wanted to live closer to the city so that they could walk places. And some people that live closer to the city said, I just want to have a lot of open space. And so they wanted to go to the country. So in addition to having smaller space, people just wanted a different style of living. Interesting. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, can you speak to how prefabrication plays into the small house movement as well? Um, I think that uh, prefab is, is an excellent way to build, whether it's very large or very small. Um, I think it's a very efficient way of building. Um, if I was building a new house myself, I would definitely build it um, in a prefab method because I built my own house, my uh, house that I lived in previously and I watched the rain pouring in on the wood and soaking things and I just having seen prefab houses being built and set it's just such a better way to build so I think whether it's large or small prefab is an excellent way and there's several different methods of prefab um, and for people that are interested in learning more about prefab, I've written several books that just focus on prefab. And actually the book that I wrote previous to this was um, Prefabulous Small Houses. And all of those houses are under 2,500 square feet and they were all prefabricated in different wow. ways with structural insulated panels and modular and different panelized methods. So um, that's a good way for people to really learn about uh, prefab and yeah. it's still 
that type of construction is still close to my heart. That's awesome. Yeah, we love prefab around here. Uh, what do you see as the adoption of prefab in construction? I think that it's a growing method of construction. There's fewer people that want to work outside in the cold or in difficult conditions. And so um, we're seeing that even commercially prefab is really taking hold and is on the increase. So mm. I think it is the wave of the future. It's been edging up slowly as a method of construction. I, I think that the surprising thing after having spoken about it at major conferences and written several books about prefab, there's still a lot of misconception about what prefab even is. And I think mm. people still think of it as little tacky houses, but, but actually any house that can be built site built pretty much can be built as a prefab and faster and in many cases, much better. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software's Live Lab Learning, a virtual classroom experience where students can listen, interact, and learn from veteran real-world application specialists in real time from anywhere in the world. LiveLab is the affordable, convenient way for your staff to take Autodesk certified training courses and even earn some AIA continuing education credits, all from the comfort of your own office. Visit ASTI.com for more information and let them know we sent you. Well, you set me up for my next question perfectly there, because uh, <laughs> the, the knock on prefab homes is that they're, they're square and they're not necessarily the, the prettiest aesthetic uh, to, to look at. How do you combat that and go, well, actually you got the, a wrong misconception of prefab there? Well, the way that I tried to combat that was by doing several beautiful books on prefab. All of the houses in my last several books, there are several prefab books, prefabulous books, all of them have beautiful houses and they're all different styles from modern to very traditional and they're all over the country so there's lots of opportunity for people to see the different types of um, prefab that have been done and i know when i when i meet people they still uh, ask me if they're little tacky cottages and um, i'm always surprised because I have extensively covered the, um, the whole area of prefabrication. Yeah, so anytime somebody asks you that, you should just whip out a prefabulous book and be like, this is all you need here. <laughs> Read this, then ask me again. <laughs> what I also try to do in all of my books, including this one, is give people a lot of information. So as much as they are um, uh, uh, coffee table books. They also have a lot of sidebars that describe different methods and different materials and systems. So I hope that they help people to build better houses. Um, I have gotten notes from a lot of people saying that after reading my book, they would never build a uh, site built house again and that they did learn. So that's very gratifying to me that people are learning to build a better house as a result of these books. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so you've talked about energy efficiency and sustainability. What's the, the impact of the small house movement on energy efficiency and sustainability? Well, of course, having less space uh, means less energy. And um, a lot of the houses um, have fewer hallways, uh, for example. And the 
less hallways means less place to heat and, and cool. I don't think that there's um, any more advantage to having less energy, uh, more efficient house in a small house than a large house. Any house should be built to be more energy efficient. But obviously, if you build a smaller house, you're going to need less energy because it's just smaller. You use less materials. And all houses should be built with aspects that will make the house more efficient. As I mentioned earlier, having great insulation in the walls, the roofing, the foundation, um, and having better windows and having um, systems that are appropriate for the size of the house. So that should be in all houses, including small houses. Mm. Yeah, totally agree there. Uh, what trends do you see in the construction industry? Um, I think that um, there is a tremendous shortage of housing. Um, there are um, a lot of people who want smaller houses. I can see in my own town, I live in Greenwich, Connecticut, and a lot of the large houses are on the market for a very long time. And as soon as a small house comes on the market, it's selling immediately. So um, I think there are a lot of people who cannot afford a larger house or don't want a larger house. So I think that there are a lot of uh, people, a lot of construction people are thinking now about smaller spaces. There's also a lot of homeless people in this country and we're trying to figure out how to combat that. Um, there are some companies that are working with organizations to try to build smaller houses. Um, U.S. Modular in California just put up four houses for women in need and um, worked with an organization that, that organization that helped them do that. So um, I think that's one important aspect. The other is that um, there's a new type of uh, construction called accessory dwelling units, which has been around for a long time, but they weren't allowed in a lot of places. And because there's a need for housing and in a lot of areas, they don't want high rises. And um, so in order to add density without a lot of high rises, a lot of areas are uh, now opening up their codes to allow for ADUs and they are popping up in a lot of places around the country and they're very very helpful for um, people that um, have the space in their property to build a small structure. I have one house uh, called a granny pad in um, the book. The, uh, the grandmother was sort of moving around to different houses after her husband died and one of her grandchildren built this uh, little house for her out of the garage and it's really beautiful and it's very comfortable for her and they have a built-in babysitter so it's, it's win -win. for everybody. <laughs> so, um, I've been writing actually about ADUs for a while and I think they are the, few, uh, the wave of the future. There are a lot of restrictions depending on the area that they're being built but um, they're a great way to add density again without having to build a lot of high rises and um, um, and and they also are affordable for people that need them such as um, a millennial who is getting married and 
needs of private space and can't afford to go and buy a house. And so they are able to live close by family and have a nice place. Yeah. Another actually ADU in the, in the book, which was really interesting, was a couple who actually bought a house that was needed some renovation and had enough land to put an ADU. They renovated the house, which was under 2000 square feet, I believe. And they rented that out and built themselves an ADU on the property. So they're oh, wow. basically probably living uh, free and clear. Nice, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a favorite house that you spotlighted in your book? Um, no, I think uh, I really like so many of them. They, there are so many fabulous houses. Um, as I said, I was very selective in choosing them. Um, yeah. A lot of these architects that design these houses I've worked with in the past, and they're some of the best architects in the country and in Canada, and they really know how to build beautiful and efficient houses. So. Um, if I didn't like a house, I didn't include it. And it was really kind of personal, as all of my books are. Um, and so I really think that all of the houses in this book are quite attractive and, and efficient and um, really spe very special. That's awesome. Well, I concur. Looking through the book, I mean, they're, they're beautiful. You did a great job on it. Thank you. Yeah. How do people get in touch with you and or purchase your, your books? Um, people can check out my website, which is www.sherrykunis.com. And my books are available in lots of um, independent bookstores. And of course, Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And a lot of libraries have bought this book. There's been great interest in this book. So um, it is really available almost everywhere that books are sold. And if That's it's awesome. not sold in your local store, then you can ask for it. Love it. That's right. Do it. <laughs> and also, people can check out my articles. I write a lot about home construction and uh, different positive aspects of construction in um, Forbes.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Sherry, for taking the time and, and sitting down and talking with us. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. And if you guys are interested in learning any more, you can for sure visit Sherry's website uh, or you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software, at asti.com for more information. You can listen anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. Until next time, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Thanks for listening to the Bridging the Gap podcast. Please spread the word by giving us a five-star review and sharing with your friends and coworkers. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our other applied software podcast, the AEC Disruptors. Thanks for listening. Bridging the Gap is produced by Alyssa Chartier and edited by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2020.